On this week's episode, we welcome Adrian Glenn. Adrian Glenn, who's founder and CEO at Align Consulting Group, has a story to tell. Once having a promising career in life, he found himself immersed in a life of crime, ended up serving time in jail, coming out, reclaiming himself, finding himself, and making the American dream his. Oftentimes, in today's America, we hear about the crime, the petty theft, the homicide, the incarceration, and we ask ourselves, what can we do to change this behavior and this direction that our country finds itself in? And when my producers and I were discussing tonight's broadcast, we said, why don't we find someone who's actually been in that life and tell us what we're not being told to give us some kind of sense of what needs to change. So I welcome Mr. Glenn. So uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Herndon, Virginia, actually, Fairfax County. Fairfax County. What did your parents do for a living? I mean, they did what they could do. My dad had a whole lot of different jobs. Um, the, the, the one job he probably kept the longest when I was a child, he was a bus driver. And then my mother was, um, she was like the checkout lady at Giant Foods. You know what I mean? That's what she did. She worked at the grocery store. What were the values in that household when you were growing up in terms of discipline, moral striving, right from wrong, work ethic, sacrifice? What, what was that environment like, Adrian? Well, originally I'm from Western Pennsylvania. So, um, you know, the steel mills and all of that. So my mom and dad didn't play uh, about much. My mom was heavy handed when needed to be. Um, but most importantly, my mother and father were just always about church, you know, God. Uh, regardless of what you're doing, keep him first in your life. Stay focused on him no matter what else you get in life. As long as you keep God first and the most important thing, you're going to be all right in the long run. But um, they weren't strict. Right. Um, you got to know what's going on out in the world. But they definitely had a firm hand and guided me as best they could, um, given our socioeconomic conditions. So what is it that your parents, as most parents, did not realize was going on with their son, Adrian? And what age um, did this all begin to develop? Oh, well, you know, growing up in those neighborhoods, right? Um, there, there's always the element that's always present. So it's not hidden from you, um, but probably about age seven, I started dabbling around with some of the older guys because um, they just saw me as this like kind of a nerdy kid who liked to read a whole lot. And um, I remember the first guy that ever approached me, that's the one thing he said to me. He said, regardless of what comes to you, whatever in life, remember that you're smart. You're not tough, you're smart. And that's why we're dealing with you. So about age seven, I started dabbling because I, I could run around the neighborhood as freely as I wanted to. Um, we knew pretty much everybody. I guess my mom and dad figured if I was doing something wrong, somebody would tell them. But addiction is addiction, right? Um, people make compromises they probably should not make, uh, especially when it involves children that have access. So um, about age seven, uh, I'm not gonna say I was a sneaky kid or I was a devious kid, but my parents had to work. They had to work long hours, they were tired. Um, I also have siblings. So there's only so much they could do to keep an eye on me. And I always had good grades, right? So in that kind of neighborhood growing up, if you're the kid got the good grades, Nobody would ever suspect. You know, it's like butter wouldn't melt in your mouth. So, um, yeah, about age seven, but age 11 is when I really started getting um, involved, you know, started making a little bit of money. 
like real money. Well, out let me let me let me stop you because this is an important story. What were you as a child doing at age seven? That, uh, that you know, many kids are doing today. I mean, I was like an errand boy, right? You know, they want a soda from around the corner. It starts like that. You know, go get me a soda from Seven Eleven or something. And then um, it just progresses to, hey, take this and over to him, and he gonna give it back to you, give you something else, and you bring that to me. And um, you know, when you do that, they give you a little bit of change. Um, at the time, we talk about 1986. So if you know the history of, you know, narcotics in America, um, that 86 to 93, a lot was going on, a lot of money was being made. So I get like $75 every time I ran one of the little bags. So obviously I would rather run one of them little bags than go get somebody a soda or a bag of Doritos and get like $2. Um, and that's kind of what sucked me in, you know, money. Your parents did not see a change in your lifestyle from 7 to 11 and beyond that you had little money, you could do far more things, and you really didn't have a job? They didn't see this? They didn't really notice till I was about 14 because I was kind of good at hiding it. Like, I would just do stupid kid stuff. Like everybody in the hood, I make sure everybody go to the pizza shop with me, right? Or <laughs> when the ice cream man come, we get a ridiculous amount of stuff from the ice cream man. Or I got real good at this thing, and I still do it the day my wife gets on me. I don't actually go into the store and purchase things myself. If I want something, I'll tell somebody what I want, give them the money, and have them go get it for me. But all of that comes from being a kid, having money, and I really shouldn't have had money. So it was just ways of having me having money. That's all. They don't see you spend it. They don't see you with it. How they know you got it? And that was it. Till I was 14. When I was 14, I kind of didn't care anymore. So when did the trouble start? When it really got serious and you began to jeopardize this thing we call freedom? When I was 14. <laughs> Oddly enough, when I was 14, situation that happened in the neighborhood, a gun had come up missing. And um, the police, for whatever reason, were directed towards me, thinking I would know where it was at. Again, to most people outside of what was going on in the neighborhood, I was just a kid who played sports and was real good, had really good grades, so all of the kids stuck around me. The children knew, and some of the other people that were into things knew what I was really into, and I guess the cops put that together. They came looking to me for the gun. I told them I didn't have it, but I'd get it for them, and um, they wanted me to bring it to them in my house. <clears throat> and I was like, nah, you find me in my house with it, you ain't gonna care what my mom say. I say, you gonna charge me with the gun. Let me give it to somewhere that's you. So um, I had convinced the cop to let me bring it to him at school. Um, when I got to school that day, I got to talk to this girl I was really into, 14-year-old boy, right? And um, they bring me down to the principal's office so I could turn it in. But the cops had been searching the school since like 5 a.m. that morning. So I ended up with a ridiculous number of charges for having a concealed weapon, being underage with a weapon, a stolen weapon. And um, like that's when it started when I was 14 years old. And it only escalated. Yeah, because my definition of self changed, right? You know, you go back to the, you know, to some people, you like the superhero, right? You know, you got these charges, you didn't snitch, um, and people started treating me a little different. Now, deep down, I just wanted to keep my grades up and go to college, um, and that's really why I kept continuing um, to make money how I was. It was to have money to pay for school. My mother and father didn't have the credit to get me loans, you know, to put me through college. Um, or even for the basic necessities like your books and doing your laundry at school. So I knew I was going to need money if I wanted to go to college. Your so brothers and sisters were not aware of your illegal activities and said nothing? 
Oh, they knew what I was doing, but they wasn't going to say nothing because I was doing stuff for them, mm-hmm. right? Like, I was, I'm the youngest of my siblings. Mm-hmm. So I was doing things for them. And I'm like, you know, and they got a little bit of, um, I guess you could say, a reputation for themselves. You know, that's my little brother. So imagine if he liked that, what I'm like, right? So um, I guess it made their life a little easier. People picked on my brother a lot coming up. Um, they didn't pick at me as much because I was pretty good at athletics and I had good grades, but they picked on him a lot. And once I started to kind of separate myself from the pack, you know, he's my brother. So it afforded him a protection and security and a, I got, I guess a bit, a bit of hood notoriety. Let, say, let me right? stop you. Let me stop you. Okay. You're 14 years old. We haven't gotten to how you ended up serving prison time. From what you shared with us at this point, Adrian, what can parents and young people learn today in their homes and their communities with people who are older that get them involved in illicit activities that lead to illegal activities that leads to sometimes not only jeopardizing their own lives but their family lives what can we as a society learn today and especially kids who find themselves in that same situation but with far more at stake than when you were coming along in the 80s um, what i would say is simply put there's no reason for a child and an adult to be that close you know, what is your interest in my child? Why are you always talking to my child? Um, pay attention to those kind of signs. If your child is like, I want to go outside and play, and it's super early on a morning when they should be sleeping in, pay attention to that. That don't make sense. You know, like, your child will just start doing things that don't make sense. And, and then, like, don't be afraid to go outside and play with your children. Right? We got a lot, a lot of people now nowadays they want to get a kid a phone to a child get to interact with them and their friends you'll start to pick up on the way children treat them you know like when i was seven years old i wasn't hanging out with other seven-year-olds i was hanging out with the kids that were 12 13 14 16 19. you know my mother and father would have known that if they weren't at work all the time trying to take care of them right and i thank them for that and um it was wrong on me for using that against them they didn't have the opportunity to do it, but and they get to know people in the community. You know, this is 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 so fascinating. Um, listening to our guests and the fact of the points that he's making about what happens when young people, kids are seven years old, hanging with adults. He made a very insightful point. Kids, why are kids hanging out with someone much older than? The parents don't see that as a red flag, that there's a sign, um, that that could be problematic in the long run, and the fact that he was able to involve himself in these illegal activities and was able to even co-op his own brothers and sisters who were older than he was, did they not realize how he was jeopardizing himself and that career that he was in and the way he was making money was long, short-lived and that it would eventually catch up with him? And the fact at 14 years old, he would be targeted by cops because they knew already that he knew exactly where that illegal weapon was. I mean, he talked about getting caught up in a relationship with a girl. I mean, this is a kid, this is a child. He had no idea 
uh, what he was about to face. I know we're having audio issues, and, and I ask you to bear with us, and we're going to try to work ourselves through this. But it's so important for him to continue this narrative of what led to him going in jail, how long he was locked up, and how he was able to turn his life around. So let me just try to go back to Adrian. Adrian, could you continue about what happened that led you to be incarcerated? How long were you incarcerated? Did you become a man in jail, or did you become a man between the ages of 7 and 14 living on the streets? Yeah, I was already a man, <laughs> you know, well, by the time they put me away. Um, I went away, I did a whole bunch of jail stints. No, no, no. I Tell us what put you away. Um, I think the first time I went away, it was an assault and battery, but they called it malicious wounded. That was the first time. And I how, went old away. You, how old were you at um, the time? The next time I went away, uh, as an adult, I was 20 years old. Okay. 20. I was in college when that happened. How long did you, how much time did you, in your, did you spend in jail? Total? Yes. In my whole life, probably about eight, nine years. Um, what did it do for you mentally uh, when you faced the realization that you were locked up, sacrificed your freedom, sort of tossed your life away? What is it that happened with you mentally where you were able to change? Was it in prison that you were able to get on track? What was that moment that made you realize you had to make a change? Well, it was the last time I went away. The last time I went away, my father uh, passed away two weeks before I had to turn myself in. And it just had me, you know, time of reflection, like, is this going to be your whole life? This isn't what he raised you for. This is what he meant you for. Your mother's going to need you. Should these people ever let you back out of here? You got nieces and nephews. You know, you're not, you're still running around like you're seven, you know, to 14. You're an adult now. So um, I just made a decision then and there that when I, if I come home, if these people let me out of here again, I'm going to do something to better my community and better myself. And um, it was just in that moment, like I just didn't want it anymore. I was kind of happy to be going away. I didn't have to leave, live up to these expectations that I had built um, in the communities that I lived in for people. Um, and and, and, fin and finally, and finally before, before we let you go and um, talk to Vince Ellison, what can other young people and families can learn from your life, particularly in what we're facing today in this country? It's not worth it. If you cut a corner, you're going to miss something that you need, so it ain't worth cutting the corner. Um, as much money as you might think you're making in the street, you got to turn it all back in. You can't really do anything with it. You're not really living life. I've probably been living life now for about the last 10 years since I've been home. Now I'm living a real life. I got children. I got a wife, um, and boring is good. Don't let all that excitement that people tell you going on is a good thing, it's not. You just wanna be bored. Being boring is a good thing, because life is really about small moments. I look back on my parents now that they both transitioned. Um, what I remember about them wasn't shoes they bought me, but you know, a joking contest we might've had, a meal my mother made. Um, even with my brother, he's still around, but I remember the good times, like the little fun things we had that didn't cost a dime. So what you're doing to get money or to get recognition out there in the street, it really doesn't matter in the long term. You know, give yourself a chance to grow up. Don't make a mistake at 17 that's still affecting your life when you're 57. Felonies are for life. Don't let nobody tell you do your time, you come home and it's over. That ain't true. You do time for the rest of your life once you're a felon. For the rest of your life, you'll be a felon. You'll be doing time. So it's just not worth it. You're making a commitment to something that you don't even understand. And... um. Give yourself a chance to grow, live, and find out who you are. Because it takes a while. I didn't know who I was. I was 30 years old. 
Don't waste 30 years of your life trying to be somebody that you people want you to be as opposed to who God created you to be. Find out what your purpose is and follow it. Adrian, Glenn, thank you so much for sharing this very important story. It's very inspiring that you've lived firsthand, spending almost eight years in jail. I think the, the advice and wisdom that you just shared about why these kids should think twice about their crime, about these drugs, about this petty theft, I just think, I, know, I don't know if anybody's ever said it better. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.